0: My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Spring Valley. Um, Our lead pastor, Joe, is on vacation today. Um, But I love what Joe says. Really, Jesus is our senior pastor at Spring Valley. And so we believe whether uh, the lead pastor is here or not, Jesus is here. And so uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, If you know you, you know I'm married um, to a wonderful woman named Angela. And I don't want to give her away her age, but she just had her 30th birthday party, you know, A little while ago. I won't say when she had it, but she had it a little while ago. And so if you've got to know me a little bit, you know I'm not a stellar planner, but my wife is. And so when she was turning 30, um, I knew I had to do something. And so I've dropped the ball a couple times in the past with holidays and birthdays and that kind of thing. So my wonderful mother-in-law said, are we going to do a party? And I said, yes. And so about a month out, we invited all of the guests to this surprise birthday party for Angela. And then about two weeks before her birthday, she said, "What are we going to do?" And I said, "Well, um, your parents are coming into town on Saturday. Your birthday, or on Friday, and your birthday's on Tuesday. So um, let's just have pizza and your favorite cake on Friday." And so apparently that wasn't a good enough idea for Angela. And so about a week and a half out, she started to plan her own party. And the party had already been planned, and so she starts calling people who are already invited to the surprise party to come to a party on Friday night. And so you're, you're a pretty good planner if you can plan your own party that's already planned. Um, so anyways, it gets to Tuesday morning and I wake up about a half hour earlier than Angela in bed and I'm just sitting there and, um, and I'm thinking about all the details that still need to get taken care of or, or haven't got taken care of yet. And I'm thinking about it and she just looks over me and she says, it's my 30th birthday today and you haven't said happy birthday. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm planning your birthday party in my head, but I can't tell you this. And so it comes to that Friday night and uh, Angela walks in and looks really surprised and there were more people than she invited, which was a good surprise. But I found out after the party that she had gone through my email and looked deep, deep, deep down in my email and found out she was having a party anyway. So, So I'm I'm not planning on throwing any more surprise birthdays for her. At least that's what I'm telling you. Um, So this morning, how many of us in here would consider ourselves pretty good planners? Would you raise your hand if you think you're a pretty good planner? Okay, got a lot of humble people in here. Now, what if who's in here who would say, I really like to go by the seat of my pants and uh, I'm really kind of would you, would you raise your hand and say, I see a couple guys. Our tech team says that, which doesn't make me feel good. Um, yeah, so I'm probably more in that second category of, of planning by the seat of my pants. And so this morning we're going to talk about planning. And the good news is, even if you're not a great planner or you're somewhere in between, even if you don't have written down plans, you still have dreams or vision, or some kind of passion or direction for your life. And so this morning, we're going to kind of talk about what the key to planning is, according to James, who is Jesus' brother. And so when we talk about planning, though, planning is pretty important to most people in the world. There's a a great saying that says if you fail to plan, you basically plan to fail. And so in business world, in school, we're always talking about people to plan. And then we put up posters like this in school, and we tell our kids, guess what? The future is in your hands. All right, and we tell them, if you work hard enough, if you put enough passion and energy, you can become whatever you want to become. And I think that's a good thing because we're helping our kids grow. And yet, what if when we tell them that, it's actually sort of a lie? Like, What if the future isn't in their hands? Or what if the future isn't completely in your hands? Or what if you're not the person who gets to set your destiny? And so I think today, James, the brother of Jesus, is really going to talk to us about what the key to planning is for our lives. If we're not totally in control, then what do we do? And so James is going to give us comforting news. He says the key to planning is to know who is in control. And we're going to find out that, that in our lives that God is actually in control, and our planning has to be done according to that. So James is the brother of Jesus, and he's, talking to, he's writing a letter to all these churches all throughout um, the ancient world, and they're all followers of Jesus. This is probably um, close to the time where Jesus died on the cross, gave his life up, and then was resurrected. So so he's just kind of reaffirming what Jesus has said, and he basically said, when you plan, you have to know who's in control. And so we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into some principles of planning. So if you're a planner... Um, You probably already have your pens out and you're taking notes. And if you're not a planner, it's okay. Um, But this morning, I think it's going to be applicable because everyone in this room has dreams, visions, and ideas of what their life should look like. So let's pray and then we'll get into James chapter 4. Jesus, I thank you so much this morning for all that you're doing in our lives. Um, God, I think you're doing things that we don't even know about yet. And you're preparing us for things. But I pray today that we'd be able to hear from your word. And that it would change our hearts. So, and we love you and we thank you this morning in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 to 17. Uh, if you have your phone, uh, there's an app called YouVersion that you can get the Bible on. That's what I like. Or it'll be right up here on the screen. And so we're going to look at principles of planning from James. And so we're going to read James 4, 13 through 14 first. And the first principle really is this, is that when you understand that God is control you'll see that you're not in charge. So verse 13 says, now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so James is kind of setting up these people who say, listen, we think we have this in control. And so here's their plan. And it's It's not a bad plan, right? They say today or tomorrow. So at some point, we're going to go and travel to this city or that city. We're going to spend a year there. And then we're going to do business and make money. And so James isn't actually attacking their plan. What he's really criticizing is their attitude. Because their attitude really says, hey, listen, we're in control. We're going to do this. And it's going to work out perfectly. And James is going to say, I'm not really sure that's how it's going to work out. And you can see why it's presumptuous. Because in the ancient world when you traveled, it wasn't exactly safe. And so if you know the story of the Good Samaritan, which many of us do, uh, there's a guy who's traveling and he gets beat up on the road by thieves and robbed and basically left for dead. And then you'll see a couple of people sort of just walk past this guy and not even bother to take care of him. And so that could be for religious reasons. Some of them had some religious reasons why they didn't do it. But there's also a sense that these people didn't want to get robbed like this guy had been robbed on the road. So it wasn't exactly safe to travel. So presuming that they're going to go to this city was, was, was a little haughty. And then also, it's expensive to travel in the ancient world. So it's not just like you're going down the road, you're, you're using your easy pass to pay the toll booths. Uh, there were tax collectors who could be on the roads at any time. There could be a new tax. And they didn't know. And then also... They just thought, well, we're going to go to this city. We're going to set up a business. We're going to make money. And so we have demographic studies. We have the internet. We can kind of do our research ahead of time and kind of see how our product might work, our business. But but they didn't have any of that. And so they're just sitting there and saying, we're going to do all of this. And they had the thought, well, we're in control. We control our own destiny. But James is going to tell them that's not exactly how it goes. And so I think if we don't get that God is in control and we aren't, we're going to come up with an attitude that that's going to kind of be hindering us in our walk with Jesus. And I think that attitude is this, is that we say, I'm in the driver's seat. Right? And so when you see us in control and God not in control, what you're really saying is, I got this. I can handle this. Life is fine. Hey, God, um, How about you and me, we do our thing on Sunday, and then Monday through Friday, I got this thing taken care of, right, and so so we start to get a little presumptuous, and James is really going to help them see that they can't do this, and basically what's going to happen is he's going to tell them that life is a mist, and so life vanishes quickly, and so you're not actually as in control as you think you are. And so uh, Pastor Tim Kelly gives a, a helpful illustration to us, right? He says, um, when you believe that you're in control of your life, what it really is is an illusion of, of control. Because there's three factors that make up your life, okay, that make up who you become. The first one is genes. The second one is environment. And the third one is personal choices. So out of those three, two of those you don't actually control. And so you're not the captain of your own ship, Because you're not even in control of of the three factors that make up only one of them. I love the story about Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was was about to take off in a kind of a commuter jet. And all the lights were off for seatbelts because all the seatbelts need to be plugged in except for his. And so the flight attendant goes down the row and is looking at all the seatbelts and and comes to him and says, "Uh, Sir, would you please buckle your seatbelt? We're about to take off. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant looked at him and said, Superman don't need no plane either. Right? And so we have these, these illusions of, of kind of that we're in control, but we're really not. And so when we say God is control, we use this theological term called God's sovereignty. So if we're going to break that down, a sovereign is really just a ruler over a nation. And so he's the one who kind of sets the boundaries and sets the rules. And biblically we see that, that God is in control. That he created the earth and then some people see God like this, right? They see God as a, as a clock maker and so God like created the earth and then he set the clock. And then he just kind of sits back and watches it and then when time is up he'll finally come back. But we see all throughout the scriptures that that's not how God works. That he's actually in control of situations. I don't think he causes every little thing to happen. I think he gives us some free will to live. But he is in control. He does intervene. And he does uh, work things out for our best, which is becoming more like him. And so James stopped these guys in their track. And he asked this philosophical question. He asked them, what is your life? I was thinking about this question. If someone came up to me on the street and said, what is your life? I don't know how I'd answer. But James is is really clear. He said, what is your life? Well, he basically said, your life is a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. And so in their climate, it was really dry. And if there was a lake or an ocean nearby, sometimes there would be dew on the ground, but then it would evaporate really quick. And if you've ever lost someone who's close to you tragically or someone's got an illness those are the times when I feel like you really know that you're not the one in control. Like you really do realize that, that you don't have everything locked down, that there's some circumstances that are bigger than you. And it seems that people really, really kind of go to God in those times when they're saying, I, I don't know what to do. I think those are just examples to say that, that you're not the one in control, God is. And yet there's sometimes even my own life that I still live like I'm in control. Like there, there's times where I'll be making decisions and, and choices and I'll never even kind of consult God and I'll never even try to seek Him out and it will just be like, oh, things are going good. Because when things are going good, I just tend to think like, well, I must be doing something right. Whereas, whereas God says, I want you to seek me and go after me. And when we live like this, we're, we're, we're basically living as atheists who say we believe in God. So we're living like God doesn't exist. But we're saying he does when we don't seek him, when we don't say he's in control and we're not. It's almost like someone who says they're a runner. So I started getting into running lately. And it's like this. You can buy all the Nike dry fit clothes that there are. You can buy a nice running watch. You can go to the running store and pay for really expensive running shoes. You can read running blogs and running magazines. You can even talk to other people about running. But if you never run... You're not a runner, right? And so that's the same thing when we think we're in control and and, and we live our lives like that. Like we we say we're following Jesus, but he doesn't actually play a part in our lives. And so that's why it's so important for us to see that the first principle of planning is to realize that God is in control and we aren't in charge. I've been reminded of this all the time, that every day when I wake up, that every breath that I take, that every step I take is because of God's grace and not because of something I did. And so that's just one way that helps me balance to know that God is in control and I'm not. And so now some of you are listening to this and, and, and maybe you don't take it this far, but I, but I, I would think about it like this. Um, if God is in charge, if he's in control, then is it the case where I can do whatever I want or do nothing and it'll still work out for the end? Right? Because if someone else or something else is controlling things that happen in the world, does that mean that, that I'm not responsible or I don't have to do anything? And I think James is really going to tell us, no, that's not the case. And he's going to say that in the next verse, in verse 15. Um, when we read it, he says, Instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And so the next principle for planning is that if you understand God is in control, then you'll plan with a pencil and not a pen. And so we didn't hear James say, hey, you shouldn't plan. Just leave it up to God's will. No, these people said, if it's God's will, we'll go there and do this and do that. And so what he's saying is that it's a good thing to plan. You, God's given you abilities and talents and gifts that you need to use and you need to plan for. But we're really going to say we're going to plan with an open hand. And so if you look underneath your seat, everyone has a pencil. So I... This is going to be more interactive sermon, so you guys can join in. If you want to pick up the pencil underneath your chair, that'd be awesome. So, the question is what's the difference between a pencil and a pen? Right? One's permanent, and one can be erased. And so, when, when, when we say you'll plan with a pencil, Instead of a pen, what we're really saying is that you're saying, God, I'm open to you erasing my plans and putting your own in there. And so when I was in elementary school, maybe when you were in elementary school, we had to write all of our stuff down in pencil. Why did why we write it down in pencil? Well, because we draw outside the lines. Because we might have to erase something. Because our teacher might want to correct something on there. And so we're like really pushed to write in pencil. And so when you write your plans, when you're seeking out what God wants you to do, this is a good metaphor for you to remember that God is the one who ultimately sets the direction, who will ultimately help you know where to go. And so just because that's the case, though, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan, and it doesn't mean that you should ask. And I actually think, as followers of Jesus, we have more responsibility than anyone else around us to be great planners and also to seek God for what He has. And you know what? I don't want you to say, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to hold it really tentatively because, or I'm not going to push hard because maybe God doesn't want me to do this. We, in fact, should be people who ask God for big visions for our life, who take risks for God and who are going to trust him with it. Like We, we shouldn't be people who say, well, God's in control, so we have an excuse not to do something. Rather, in fact, because God is in control, you can trust that he'll work through you even if it's not exactly the way you thought it would be. So I want to do another exercise, and so you put your pencils down, okay, and I want everyone to hold out your hands like this, Um, unless you're holding a baby, but hold out your hands like this, okay, now I want you to close your eyes, okay, and I want you to take a big breath and and sniff in with your nose, okay, that was just to check if people around you are wearing deodorant, that's all, Um, but keep your eyes closed, and then I want you to to close your hand into fists really tight, Okay, now when you, when you feel that, you feel kind of the tension and the pressure that's in that. Okay, now open, open up your hands and look up here at me. See, this is the posture that God wants us to play him with. Because so many times in life we're like this. You, you can put your hands down. So many times in, in life we're like this, that we have these ideas, we have these plans, we have this direction that we want our life to go. We, we think, you know, we need to find someone to marry or we need to have kids at this time or we need to advance in our career and we just, we hold it really tightly. And what James is saying here, if it's God's will, we'll go do this and that. And so God wants us to hold our plans, not like this, but like this. You know, this saying of God's will, some people uh, use the phrase, Lord willing, right? So people say, Lord willing, will go do this or Lord willing, will go do that. And I'm not sure they really understand what they're saying because I don't think it's meant to use as like a catchphrase or token phrase like Lord willing we'll do this no it it really is to say if it's God's will I'm gonna I'm gonna plan and I'm gonna seek him for it but if it's God's will we'll go do this but you're not gonna say like if it's God's will I'm gonna go to work if it's God's will my wife will make dinner if it's God's will we're not gonna put that in front of every phrase what we're really gonna do is just have an attitude of humility because because when you say these are my plans I'm going to do them. What it is is just a sense of pride saying I'm more in control than God is. But when you open it up, you're saying, if the Lord wills. And you know, where, you know where James gets this concept? The same place he gets every other concept that he has is from Jesus. And if you have a religious background at all, if, you, if you've been to church a couple of times, you've probably heard the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And it goes something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And, and then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what that's basically saying is we want your will, God. And so if you pray the Lord's Prayer, what you're already saying is, God, I, I have plans, but I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to say whatever you want to do with them, I'm open. And so we're going to plan with a pencil and not with a pen when we make our plans. And then another principle of planning that James is going to James is going to bring to us is that when you understand God is in control, that this last one is you can't take credit. So verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So we'll get back to that. But there's times in your life when you do good things, right? I hope all of us have had some success either in school or work or our career or sporting events. You know the Spring Valley softball team won their championship, but uh, I wasn't on that team, so I don't have to get prideful about that. Um, so that was just a, a shout out to those who did to be careful. Um, but but we've all had successes in our life, right? And so um, it can be easy to start believing the hype that comes to our own life. Like we we just start talking about it a little bit, and then people give us compliments. And it sort of grows and grows and we start to think that we're actually something when, when we're really not because we're not the ones in control. God is. And so I think this can be lived out in lots of ways. You can help spread out when someone gives you credit. You can help spread it out. You can give the credit back to God because he really is the one who's given you every ability, gift, talent, and skill that you have. God's really given that. So it, it seems weird to take credit for something that That you haven't really earned. And so. There's this weird saying at the end though. It it says. As you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And so in the Greek. This verse actually says. You boast in your boasting. Or you're arrogant in your arrogance. And then all such boasting is evil. And so why. Would boasting be evil? Like I know it's not good, and it doesn't really look good to kind of take the credit and hog the credit, but, but why would he say it's evil? And I think boasting is evil because when you boast, you're actually putting yourself in the place of God. So let me say that again. When you boast, you actually put yourself in the place of God. And here's how that happens. When you boast, what you want is praise and acclaim and for people to look at you a certain way. And, and you could call that what you want, but I, I would call that actually you're looking for worship. You're looking for people to worship you. And so God is really the person who should be worshiped. He should be honored. He should be glorified. Everything that you've done is because of the good things that he's given you, whether, whether you know him yet or not. And so when we say, yes, I'm awesome, yes, I'm great, what we're really trying to do is get the worship that rightfully belongs to God so I think it's pretty destructive when we say, yes, I'll boast. And I think it could take a lots of different forms. Um, when people uh, receive an Oscar nomination or something else, it seems like they're all the most humble people in the world, right? Like they stand up and they're like, yeah, uh, thanks for this award. I'd really like to thank uh, all these different people. And they keep putting the credit to everyone else. And some of them even, even give it to God. But, I think when you talk to some of those people in private, it's less giving the credit out and, and more of a prideful attitude. Like, yes, I do deserve this. Yes, I should get this. I think sports athletes, when they're kind of in the moment right after the game and they get interviewed on the field and the sports reporter's like, how was that? How that feel? And they're like, it was awesome. I can't believe we did that. We're so good. And, they, and you really just start to see what they really think. Because there's some athletes who are really good at saying, I couldn't do it without my team. And then there's other athletes who are like, Yeah, that was awesome. I'm doing really good. And so you just sort of are able to see in that moment the difference between pride and humility. And so you're probably not getting interviewed on the side of the court or field or or anything like that. And and so um, if you're constantly telling people how good you are or telling them about your accomplishments, it probably means you're trying to take credit for something that God has done. I've been in conversations before with a group of people where someone starts to tell a story And then someone else has to top that story with their story. And then like that same person will come back and top that story with their story and that story with their story. And I think all of us have been in those conversations where you're like, stop, it's okay. But there's something inside of us that wants to take the credit that rightfully belongs to God for ourselves. But if you believe that God is in control, you won't be able to do that. So after your amazing plan has worked, The credit isn't yours, it's really God's. And then so the last principle for planning is this, is that you'll be open to detours. And verse 17 is profound. And it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, but doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. And so if you think you're a really good person and, and you've done lots of good stuff, um, this verse is just going to help you bring yourself from here down, down to reality, right? Because th- in theological terms, there's something called the sin of omission and the sin of commission. So when you, when you do the sin of commission, what it means is that you're doing something wrong. But when you do the sin of omission, it means that you basically didn't do something that you knew was right. And so I think what James is saying here, not just that this is kind of a a proverb on its own, but what he's really saying is that there's going to be times when God's going to send you on a detour and it's not going to be part of your plan, and the question is, are you going to be open to it? Because that's what God's asking you to do. Are you going to be open to it? And so um, some people I know, they have this idea about God's will and about God's plan for their life, and they think it sort of goes like this, like a straight line, with a dot to here, a dot to here, a dot to there, and a dot to there, and say, well, God, I thought you told me this was your plan, or I thought this was your plan, or this is where I'm going. And and they think it's sort of a straight line. And I would say they sort of see God's plan as a blueprint, or God's will as a blueprint for their life. That Things have to line up exactly the way they should. But what happens when, when that gets messed up? Does that mean they're not in God's will anymore? Well, I actually think God's plan is less like a blueprint and more like a game plan. Right? Like there's there's the goal, and the goal is big, and they have an idea of how to get there, but we don't know exactly how it's gonna play out. So God helps us know how we should live, how we should um act towards other people, how we should love other people. And yet there's times when just because we have a plan doesn't mean it's gonna go in a straight line like God can bring detours into our life and take us here or take us there. Um, There's a couple in our church named Kristen and Paul Matthias. Many of you know them, but, but they were a librarian and a secondary ed teacher. And God said, I want to take a detour in your life. And they're now in Egypt ministering to people who are Muslim. I was talking to a friend the other week, and you know, they're pretty comfortable with where they're at and they think God might be calling them to go plant a church. That's a detour in their life. And the question is, are you open to these detours in your life? And and I think on a smaller scale, they could just be interruptions in your life. That's God's asking you to do this or that, that, that might be uncomfortable or inconvenient. And I think the reason why we don't do a lot of what God asks us to do is not because we don't think it's fulfilling, but rather it's inconvenient at the time and we're not willing to press forward through that inconvenience to follow what he's asking us to do. And he says that's a sin. And so when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, so that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they were four different accounts about Jesus's life, what we see is that most of his miracles actually happen because of interruptions. So Jesus is sitting in a house one day teaching all these people in this crowded house. All of a sudden the roof opens up Because four friends open the roof and start lowering down a man who needed to be healing, and he got healed. And then we see Jesus walking down this square, and someone comes up to him and says, I need you to to come heal my daughter, and while he's going, this woman grabs him by the shirt and she's healed. And then one day Jesus is sitting at at a well and he's just resting while his disciples are are, are getting food and, and preparations, and he meets this woman. And he starts talking to her. And a whole town gets to know about Jesus because of that interruption. And so in your life, maybe there's interruptions that happen that they'd say, man, this is inconvenient. But maybe this is what God's asking me to do. Maybe it's God put someone on your heart to give them a call. Maybe it's, it's someone you just met who you need to befriend. Maybe God wants to give you a detour in your budget. Right, like your plan for your finances. Maybe he's asking you to give to something they said that wasn't in the plan. Because what we're saying is that if God is in control, he knows what's best. And so my plan is open to detours. Like I'm willing to go this way or that way if, if you ask me to, God. And so if, if you still think you're in control, even though we see that like life is short, if you still think you're in control even though you you can't control all of your circumstances God made it really clear what you're not in control of He said you can't make yourself right in His eyes and the scriptures tell us that all of us at one point were dead because we couldn't be right in God's eyes and the great news is the one who is in control changed that the one who's in control said, I, I see these people and they're far from me, and no matter how many good things they do, they can never get to me. And he said, So I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna take control. And so God sent Jesus, his son, down to earth to live this perfect life, to die a death that he didn't deserve. So that you and I could be seen right in God's eyes, not by something that we did, not by somehow we controlled our situation and we are so good and we acted so rightly. But it happens when we we accept Jesus as the leader of our life and we start to follow him. And that's really what the gospel message is. The gospel message isn't try harder or be a good person. Like if you're in here today and you're thinking you're a good person and you're earning God's approval, you're not. The gospel says, you know what? You can't earn it, but Jesus has given it. And now we live our lives to honor God, not because we're getting something from him, but in response to all the good things that he's done for us and so if you're here this morning and you say I feel dead or at least I, I feel helpless and you don't know Jesus yet you can go to the one who's in control and you could say I want to put my faith in you I want to trust you and if you want to do that this morning I, we would love to have you do that uh, after the service you can come up and talk to, to myself or Jeff that you saw up here and, and we'd love to just pray with you But this morning I have a few questions for us who are followers of Jesus. And and the question is, are you seeking God in his will? Like like these people said, today or tomorrow we'll go do this. And, And then the real thing they should have said is if it's God's will. Are you seeking God's will for your life? Are you spending time with him in the morning or in the afternoon or at some point? Are you seeking what he has for you? Because I would say there's been times in my life where I was calling myself a Christian, but I wasn't necessarily seeking what he had for my life. So the question is, what does that look like for you? What does seeking God's will look like for you? May- maybe for you it's starting to journal. Maybe for you it's just starting to say, I'm going to try to read my Bible every day. Are you seeking his will? The second question for us this morning is, Is will you write your plans in pencil? And I think I'm, I'm really specifically talking to those people who, who are really set, who are really good at writing their plans, are you writing them in pencil? Like, are you saying, God, I have plans, but I'm willing for you to change them. I'm going to hold them open-handedly. Now, for some other of us, we have these dreams and aspirations. Do they line up with what what God wants for your life? And you know what, we're going to pray today, and I don't know if God is going to tell you exactly what he wants you to do, But I think, maybe not today, but as you're praying and and as you're going throughout the week, he's going to give you that direction if you don't have it. He's going to show you the next step to take. And then the last question for us this morning is, what is God asking you to do? Right, because if you grew up in a a home where your parents follow Jesus and you're a pretty moral person, you're probably not doing a lot of things bad. You're, you're, You're probably still messing up. But the question for us shouldn't be, what? What are we doing bad that needs to stop? But what aren't we doing that's good that we should be doing? And so Tim's going to lead us in, in a short time, and we're going we're gonna to sing, I Surrender All. And if that's your prayer today, you can join with us in saying that we're going to surrender our lives to God. We're going to surrender our plans to God. And, and while he's going this, why don't you ask God, if there's something in your life that you're not doing, that you know you should, ask him to help you. Ask him to show you what you should be doing.